You got a Bible? Just might need it for tonight. Got a few things I want to share with you that I hope will be a blessing to you. And if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. Sometimes people say, well, you know, if God has forgiven me of all of my sins, why does he tell me in 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? I thought he already did. So why do I have to keep confessing my sins? If I have to confess my sins every time I commit a sin, I will always be confessing. Wouldn't that be scary? And another question that comes up is what if a man does not confess his sins? Does that mean God will forgive him of the sin? And can you go to heaven with unconfessed sins? It's a good question, isn't it? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So that means that uh, is there a possibility that if you don't confess the sin, he won't forgive you of the sin? You see how many questions that you can actually raise on something so simple. But they're there. So should we live in fear of the Lord coming back? Because after all, we could get the whooping of our life. And there are some scriptures that says, Woe unto those unfaithful servants, because those who knew the Lord's will and did it not shall be worthy of many stripes. But he that knew not the will of God shall be judged with few stripes. Unto whom much is given, much is required. So, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, ooh, we should all fear about going to heaven and meeting God face to face. Something about that just doesn't sound right, does it? And if you use certain logic that people use, it can make you scared half to death to meet the Lord. And I don't think that's... Now, we may be ashamed. You can be ashamed, but you don't have to live in fear. And I want to kind of address that subject tonight. So here in the book of Acts in chapter 10... I want you to notice there in verse 43. Chapter 10 and verse 43. Verse 43 says, To him give all the prophets witness, that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. According to that verse, that is locked in, guaranteed, surety, that if we believe in him shall automatic receive remission of sins. That's how I read that. But then I could have read it wrong. Maybe I understood it incompletely. I didn't get all the details. Maybe there's a, a loophole somewhere. Well, just turn over a couple pages to chapter 13. Chapter 13 and look in verse 38. In verse 38 says, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So all those that believe are justified. 
justified, declared righteous from that moment on. God has declared you righteous. So how is God going to take a child of his and just beat the tar out of us at the judgment seat of Christ and whoop us real bad there? And what if I don't ask God to forgive me of the sins that I committed since I have been saved? Well, it does um, require a little looking at to see what he's talking about. But, but one more verse before we get there. Look in the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians. Colossians. And there's an interesting verse here. In chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And you'll notice there in verse 13. It's a good verse to underline. And you being dead in your sins. And the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you how many? All trespasses. So you've already been forgiven of all trespasses, all of your sins, justified forever. So how do you explain the reasons for 1 John 1, 9? Now, when we are lost, we simply confess that we're sinners. That's what I am. I am a sinner. After we're saved, we confess our sins. Singular, plural. One, I am a sinner. That's what I am. After I'm saved, I confess my sins. One is I confess I am an apple tree. Two is I confess the apples on the tree. There are two different things here. But what I want you to see is when God says that he hath forgiven us of all sins, then what about the sins that I committed after I have been saved? Did he already pay for those sins after I was saved? Of course. Or he could not forgive them. So when I trusted the Lord back in 1955... No, I wouldn't say 55. 1960. So in 1960, when I trusted the Lord, how many of my sins did he pay for? But how many did he forgive me of? How many? All of them? Well, I hadn't done them yet. So he forgave me in advance? He could never do that. How can he forgive me in advance? I hadn't done them yet. But, in the Old Testament, did Jesus forgive and have a payment made? But it was after. Because, see, they died before he ever went to the cross. But he still died for them. They were still saved by looking forward to the payment that would be made. So we have, yes, a payment for our sins. Now take your Bible and go to the book of First John. 1 John chapter 1. And just look at this a second. 1 John is not written to the lost man. It's written to the child of God. It's not written on how to be saved. It's written to those who are already saved. But he's got one main thing here in this portion of Scripture that is to help us to understand the rest of the content if we understand, well, what's the purpose? So he says here in verse 3, 
that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So we're talking now not about God the Judge, we're talking about God the Father. As our Father, and we are His children. And notice what the purpose of it is in verse 4. These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Now if there's anything that ruins the peace and joy and happiness of a child of God, is sin in his life. And so one of the things that we notice about this little portion of Scripture is that um, the blood of Jesus Christ continually keeps us clean. You see what he says there in verse 7, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin, keeps us clean. All right, that's good for those who walk in the light. But what about the child of God that doesn't walk in the light? Is there such a person? Is there Christians that don't walk with the Lord? So if they don't walk with the Lord, they're not going to have the joy that they should have. Because you see, sin still has an effect upon us, and it makes us feel guilty. You see, even though the sin has been forgiven, the sin itself you have just committed. Even though the payment's been made, sin's been forgiven, but see, you just did it. And the sin in a Christian's life can really wreak havoc upon his spiritual growth, upon his stability, upon his peace of mind. And rob him of the joy of his salvation. So just hold your place and look at this over here in chapter 3. Look in chapter 3 where he makes a statement there in verse 18. My little children, written to believers, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So is it the will of God that his children do right by what they say and what they do. You'd have to say yes. In truth. But it's so easy for God's children to deceive themselves into thinking that that was a little sin, so it doesn't matter. It wasn't one of those great big sins. I haven't robbed a bank. You know, I didn't kill anybody. So the more you study of the Word of God, the greater your discernment of right and wrong. You see how righteous and holy God is, and you see what sin does. So you, as a Christian, know that whenever you do that which is wrong, you have a thing called conscience, your heart. And look what he says here in verse 19. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure, assure, our hearts before Him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. See, all this is concerning your personal walk with the Lord. And nobody else can do this for you. But every one of us need to understand that sin in a Christian's life 
brings with it a weight of guilt, shame. And that's why he's talking about abide in him that when he shall appear, we will not be ashamed before him at his coming. And some Christians are ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Some Christians are even ashamed of the gospel, ashamed to tell people how to have eternal life. And so they're afraid it's going to offend somebody. It's like being ashamed of it. Uh, that's a shame. Uh, it really is. Now, back here in 1 John chapter 1, you notice what he says here in verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So is it possible for a Christian to sin after he's saved to say or think that he's walking in the spirit and in reality he's not? To think he's walking in the light, and he's not. To think that he really has the true joy of the Lord, and he doesn't. So you look down there in verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, as to say I don't have a sinful nature, you know it's singular. What's the next three words? We deceive everybody but ourselves. We deceive ourselves. And you're not walking According to the truth. See, this is about a personal thing. So in verse 9, if we confess our sins, if we confess. But confessing is not so that God will get right. God didn't do anything wrong. So it's not about what God needs to do. But it's about what we need to do. So confessing to the Lord removes our personal guilt. We're simply claiming something that God must do. You see, as we live our Christian life and we are now in the process of serving God or not serving God, and you do that which is wrong, then God says, if we confess the sin, He is faithful and just to forgive. Because see, that is not for God's benefit. That's for your benefit. That's for my benefit. To simply believe what's already been done. You see, if you don't understand and you think that now because of this sin, God is going to punish me for some great thing and maybe take my salvation away because there's people, you ought to see the emails I get. People trying to explain this verse to me. As though I've never read it before. And that God... If you do not confess your sin, then that means God can't forgive you of your sin. So is it possible for a Christian to commit a sin and not ask for forgiveness? And if God is going to forgive you because you confessed it, well, what if you don't confess it? Then you have unforgiven sin. And if you got unforgiven sin, you can't go to heaven. That's a sign that Christians can lose their salvation. By committing sins in the future that you didn't get forgiveness for. See how logical that is? The only thing is, it's not according to truth. It's not according to what God said. So, if we confess our sins, He is faithful, He must. If He's faithful, He will, then He has. And so you read it and live it like he must, he has, accept it, believe it. 
So when I do something that I know that I should, and I know what it is, it's sinful. It was wicked. It was wrong. God has forgiven me. But I should confess because I need to realize this has been forgiven. And this is something that I can believe because I can keep walking with the Lord. If there's anything that will stop you in your walk with the Lord, it's believing that you've ruined it now. You've really messed up. You done fell in the mud and God will not forgive you. God can't use you anymore. And your sins will weigh you down. But if you know and understand, this is the sin that Christ died for 2,000 years ago. He's already paid for it. He's already forgiven you. Now the key of confessing your sin is so that you will forgive you. So that you will forgive yourself. So that you don't live the rest of your life in guilt because of what you failed to do for the Lord. That can truly destroy a Christian and his walk with the Lord. So that's why he says, don't deceive yourself. In verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him what? A liar. But God says, accept it because it's been done. Now take your Bible and turn all the way over there to the book of um, James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And you'll notice there's a, a couple things mentioned here. Because we often think, well, you've got to be forgiven of all of your sins in order to go to heaven. If there's one sin that God did not forgive you of, then you can't go. But then this verse here could cause you a problem. Look there in verse, let's just start there in verse 14 of chapter 5. He says, is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. If, I thought they were already forgiven. Well, see, here's a person that's committing sins. And he could have them forgiven. But understand, when a man wrongs another, as in the book of James, when he tells us about the things we say, the things we do, chapter 3, talking about the tongue and the sharp things that we say, the damage that we do, the fires that we start. And chapter 4, about the desires that we have, and not humbling ourselves and so forth. And then by the time you get to chapter 5 here. If somebody is sick because of sin in their life. Then God says, confess the sin. Not necessarily to God, but to the person you wrong. And if you're sick because of the people that you have wronged and sinned against they can pray for you. You can pray for them. And the sin, when it's confessed, you can be healed. If the sickness is because of the wrong that you're doing to somebody else. You see down in verse 20. Let him know that he which converteth the sinner 
from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. This is because sin in a Christian's life. This is talking about physical death. It's not, not save a man so he can go to heaven when he dies. This is to the believer. This is talking about the prayer of a righteous man and someone intervening because somebody might have wronged. So that's why he says in verse 16, confess your faults one to another. If you have wronged one another, you just don't go around confessing all of your sins. Really, would you want to do that? We want to have a confession booth set up here tonight so everybody can confess all of your sins and let's just really go at it. You first. Say, what, what is your sin, Yankee? Well, mine's gossiping and I can't wait to tell somebody. Now, so you don't have to do that, but if you have wronged somebody, then you might need to confess to them and they can forgive you. You see, if you put it to where it belongs, that God has already forgiven us. So whenever you confess, you can, this is a sin that Christ died and paid for. This is a sin that I have been forgiven of. So therefore, for my joy, and if I don't believe it the way God means it to be in His Word, then I'm going to be one miserable Christian. There's a lot of Christians who never forgive themselves for the things they've done after they've been saved. They live like a whipped individual for the rest of their life. I have met so many Christians that just feel like I can't do it. I can't make it because I fell. I've messed up now. It's all over. And they never forgive themselves. And they become miserable, bitter Christians. God's forgiven you. You forgive yourself. He's already done so. So I believe it's to help the individual so much. Now, go there to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians in chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. There's a verse in the book of Hebrews in chapter 6 that says that God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. And the Bible talks about those who... Uh, because of their love for others, their labor of love. And I mentioned this this morning in Sunday school that I believe there's a difference between work and labor. Now, I know it seems the same, but as I brought out, this church is the result of somebody's work. And we look at it and say, this is a work. Sometimes we see something that's a work of art. Well, that's the work that you're looking at. But the labor that produced that work, you may not know. You may not know everything that went into producing that work. This is why the Bible says God is going to reward every man according to his own work, according to his labors. Because only God knows the labor that went into the work that you have done for him. And I mentioned this. We go back here on third Sunday dinner, and we walk in there, and la, 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 this is half as a lark, and sit down there, look at all of that food. It just, you know, miraculously appeared. And we sit down and look at this work of art. And all we got to do is sit down and eat it. Isn't that wonderful? Now, we see the work, but we didn't see the labor that produced this work. And so God is the one who's going to reward because there's things that you've done for him 
that nobody will ever see. Nobody knows the pressure that you've been under. Some people can come to church on a Sunday morning and had absolutely no pressure. Everything went smooth. And somebody else, they got up and everything went wrong. The alarm didn't go off right. The wife didn't iron the shirt. Can't find your shoes. Everything goes wrong. Paperboard didn't deliver the paper, so you can't do your crossword puzzle. You're in a bad mood. You told your wife you wanted two eggs, one over easy and the other one hard. She cooked the wrong one too hard. Both have been the other one. You've always got something, and your day can be terrible, and you could have had a flat tire on your way. Somebody could have cussed you out for some reason because you pulled in front of somebody. By the time you get here, you're a nervous wreck. But you came, and you don't know of anything that you did purposely on doing wrong, but it just seemed like everything falls apart. And God says he's not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. The reason why you do what you do. So he makes a statement here. Every man shall receive his own reward in verse 8 according to his own labor. Because, see, he's going to judge our work, but he's also going to judge the labor that went into the work. The reason why you did what you did. The whys. And so there's a lot more involved. And so there's going to be this rewarding stand. Now, some people think that it's going to be a place where God's going to just, you know, beat the tar out of us because we're going to be judged good and bad, and it's going to be bad. So we know some bad stuff. I don't believe that we're going to be standing at the judgment seat of Christ in a glorified body, and my heavenly Father's going to beat me with many stripes. I didn't feel that. I didn't feel that. I didn't feel that. Why? I got a glorified body. I didn't feel that. Now, I don't believe that you can take verses out of Luke where it talks about the servant. And many people want to take those and apply those to the Christian at the judgment seat of Christ. And we need to be afraid. No, I don't believe God's going to punish any person at the judgment seat of Christ. When the Bible says here, if you'll look at this, in verse 10, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. Now, when talking about building upon the, the rock, you don't build with sins. He's going to judge our works, things we did for him. It's not a judgment of our sins. Our sins were judged at the cross. We're not going to heaven and stand at the judgment seat of Christ and answer for our sins. He answered for my sins. This is about my works, what I did for the Lord. Some people, you may not do anything. And some people, they did a lot. But not all of our works that we think we did for the Lord. And God says, you didn't do that for me. So we're not talking about the worst that a Christian does. We're talking about the best things that he did. So God is going to judge your works and whether or not are those works that you did. Was it gold, silver, and precious stones, or was it hay, wood, and stubble? Was it something God can't reward you for? 
Because isn't it true that somewhere in the book of Matthew in chapter 6, that if you do things just to be seen of men, you have received your reward? If you do it for the praise of men, then you don't get the praise of God. And that the trial of your faith, been much more precious than gold and silver, though it be tried with fire, may be found on the praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So I do believe that. Now look what he says here in verse 12. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work, not every man's sin, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive what? A reward. Now, in many cases, it doesn't appear to be that every good deed gets another reward, and a good, done a good deed gets another reward, and another good deed gets another reward. I don't know. It may be true. But it seems like the word reward is always singular. And God's going to judge a man's work. Now, is that a work over a lifetime? Or as I serve the Lord, I'm laying up treasures, plural, in heaven, which nobody can break through and steal, where I can't lose it. Rewards, once they're earned, are laid up in heaven, and nobody can take away your reward once it's earned. He says, Whosoever shall give a cup of cold water only in the name of the disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Now, if he'll never cast me out, in no wise cast me out, we take that literally when we talk about salvation in John chapter 6. Well, is this possible? That rewards, once they're earned, you have those. But think of all the things you could have done. And does God take all of your work that you've done all your life as one total deal, taking out all the things that were no good, and whatever you've got left, because rewards must be in degrees. As a man who goes to hell, his punishment is in degrees. So we will be rewarded accordingly to the work we did for the Lord. So does all of my life all push together form a work for the Lord? I don't know. I'll let God figure that out. Can you let God figure that out for you? So all you need to know is, I need to be faithful to the Lord. Because I believe that when I get to heaven, God is going to reward me for what I've done for Him. So, he says here in verse 14, he shall receive a reward. In verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned. Now, where is this judgment taking place? It's taking place in heaven. This is not taking place on earth. We are not bringing our sins into heaven. The illustration of the gold, silver, and precious stones and wood, hay, and stubble is an illustration to help us to see that some of us probably have some wasted life. We thought we were all right, and that's why he's talking about in the book of 1 John, be not deceived. You may think that you're walking with God, and you're not as close to God as you think. Maybe we don't always see sin the way it really is. We don't really see our failures the way that we should. And realize these are the things that put my Savior on the cross. 
and that I should accept God's forgiveness and keep moving on and keep serving the Lord. Otherwise, you can be so discouraged and get so depressed, so in the state of despair, because you don't think or feel you're worthy for God to use. Look, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, that very moment, God allowing you to live on this earth, that was grace. What did you do to deserve the right to live on this earth after you trusted Christ as Savior? Nothing. So this life in itself is grace. So that's why the Apostle Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. And I labored more abundantly than they all. In other words, God's grace was not bestowed upon me in vain. Because grace, labor, same verse, don't fit. Yeah, it does. When you realize that God gave us life to live that we did not earn, deserve, no reason, but only by the grace of God. And then God, like Paul says, God's grace was not given to me in vain because I labored. I used this period of time that God gave me to live to serve the Lord. And he says, I labored more abundantly than they all. And yet, they all came first. They walked with the Lord. They knew him. Paul was later. And yet, he says, his grace was not bestowed upon me in vain. So we work for the Lord. Paul wanted to finish his course. And so, when we have here in verse 15, If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. He's not going to be beat up. He's going to suffer the loss of what he could have had. It's that gold, silver, and precious stone, what you did for the Lord, that's going to be worth it all. And when you realize you wasted so much of your life that was all burned up, wasted time, that you could have had something, you could have built something, could have been obedient to the Lord. And whenever we realize that we got to live and we lived in vain, we didn't accomplish what God wanted us to accomplish with our life. I think that's a time coming. Now, take your Bible and look there in 1 Corinthians in chapter 4. Notice what he says here in verse 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required and steward that a man be found rich and famous and popular. Is that what your Bible says? No, it just says faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you. A very small thing that I should be judged of you. You see, other people's judgment doesn't really count. It's what he decides. See yourself the way God sees you. God sees you as his child. And God deals with you with chastening the discipline because a loving father wants the best for you. And he deals with you and he's already forgiven you, but he wants you to walk with him. He wants you to talk to him. Here he's always dealing with us in love. You can never be separated from the love of God. So from this day forward, you know that some people teach that, well, when we get into the kingdom, God's going to cast you out of the kingdom because you've been unfaithful. Well, I believe that in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4, where it says, comfort one another with these words, because he just said, 
and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And when the Lord says he'll never lead me and never forsake me, I don't think that he means he's going to kick me out of the kingdom. That doesn't fit with Scripture. I am always going to be with the Lord. I am part of his bride. And so he makes a statement here. In verse 4, for I know nothing by myself. It means I don't know of anything, Paul says, against me. And it's a small thing that I have to listen to somebody else trying to condemn me. Because people are always putting Paul down. Always had something to say about Paul. But he says, this is what I'm doing. So he says in verse 4, yet here I'm not justified. But he that judgeth me is who? The Lord. And what's the Lord going to do? Judge your works, what you're doing for the Lord. You see, not everybody knows your motive. They don't know all the pain you're going through. They don't know how difficult it is for you to be. God is going to, well, He keeps the books, doesn't He? He's going to reward every man accordingly. And you're not going to lose anything that's coming to you. But there's a lot more that you probably could have done for the Lord, but didn't do because you judged yourself and measured yourself according to somebody else. Well, I'm doing more than they are. I'm just as good as they are. They don't count. This is an individual thing. Every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Nobody can make you labor for the Lord. That's a personal thing. And that's why if the devil can get you down... It's because he's going to get you down because of sin in your life. The devil is going to lie to you, try to condemn you, make you feel so discouraged and depressed and get you down. It's not worth serving God because look at all your failures and all. Listen, those things have been paid for. Put them behind your back and move on and keep realizing that may I, that was wrong. Confess means to call it for what it is. It's sin. It was rebellion. I was wrong. God forgave me because the Bible says God is faithful and just to forgive us because it's already done. God doesn't just, okay, I forgive you. If I had to confess every sin of mine so that I could walk with God, I wouldn't have time to walk. You see, there's a difference in a step than in a walk. God wants us to walk with him. And I don't think that I have gone astray because I took a step in the wrong direction. I don't confess every step. But if my walk begins to go astray, when I believe that I was doing what was right, you can go astray. Can sheep still go astray even after you're saved? A sheep can go astray, not planning on it, just little by little. And you don't even know what's happening. And you think everything's fine. But you better take and go back here to the canon of Scripture and judge everything by the book. Not according to the herd and where the herd's going. If you're going to follow the crowd, you ought to find out where the crowd's going. It's your own personal walk with God. And nobody can do it for you. You're not going to be judged because you, know, you did as good as somebody else. What did you do according to what God gave to you? And you walk with the Lord. And you'd be surprised what God will do for you. Now, here in the, this verse where he makes the statement in verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. Then shall every man have praise of God. 
if, of course, there's anything to praise. Because every man is going to be judged according to his own work. And God's the one that knows the course that each one of us have to take. The pressures that we're all under. And sometimes you're under a lot of things. That's why it behooves every child of God. Stay close to the Lord. And whenever you do something that's wrong, man, just own it. Confess that. That's what it is. And forgive yourself and keep serving God. But don't let it hold you down. Don't let it stop you. Now, one other I wanted to show you before we quit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You'll notice here when he says in verse 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident. Verse 9, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. Now you're accepted in the Beloved for salvation. But now He's going to judge what you did for Him. And you want your works to be accepted by the Lord. Because isn't that the one you did it for? You and I are supposed to be working, laboring for the Lord. And we want everything we've done to be acceptable. And some things will be acceptable. But not everything probably we've done for the Lord is going to be acceptable. But your sins, I don't believe, are going to be brought up. They are forever cast behind His back, cast into the depths of the sea, and will never be remembered anymore. So we're not talking about your sins. It's the sins that keep you from doing the work. And that's why you need to realize when you mess up, confess up and keep serving the Lord. And look in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The word bema, it's a rewarding stand. It's not a punishment stand. It's like in our college, we pray everybody will graduate. But some may graduate with honors. Everyone's going to heaven that's trusted Christ as Savior. Some are going to receive honors. I would hate for there to be an honor that I could have had and I did not get it. Is that selfish? No, God says we are reward-motivated people. We always want to know, what am I going to get out of this? God wants you to know, whatever He asks you to do, it will be worth it. Now, we're not there yet, but can you trust the Lord? Now, you can't trust God. You know how He is. He never keeps His word on anything, does He? Or do you really believe Him? Can you trust Him? I believe that we can and that we should. So He says that everyone may receive the things done in His body. This is since you have been saved. According to that He hath done, whether it be good or bad. This is talking about your works, not your sins. It's the works that God can reward because you've got to tie this in with the judgment that we read in 1 Corinthians in chapter 3. It cannot contradict itself. Nor can it contradict other clear scriptures that says we have been forgiven of all sin and cannot be brought up in again. God cannot judge me for those sins that He has already paid for and taken away. And I have been forgiven. So, yes, I maybe this sounds a little strange to some of y'all. I don't know. I just know how I have to think and how I have to live my life. And I know that this understanding has served me well to keep a clear mind and to live my life without this cloud of guilt over me because I've messed up so many times in my Christian life. Because you're going to fail. You're going to mess up. 
You're not always going to say and do the right thing. Sometimes you wish you could go back in time and redo it all over again. But I'm sorry. You can't. You've got to keep moving on. Accept God's forgiveness for you. Because it'll keep you from being bitter and in despair and hopeless. Because you realize every day we sin, right? Every day you can think about how good God's been. And of His wonderful forgiveness for all of your sins. That's something to hang your hat on. Something to live for. Look up here right quick. This is you and me. This is sin. We all have sin on us. Everybody sins. 2,000 years ago, God looked down and He saw all of us. Saw all of our sins. And because He loved us, He did something for all of us. He sent His Son into the world to pay for our sins. That all of us would be able to go to heaven. Because see, heaven is perfect, and we're not. But we committed the sin, and we ought to pay for it. And God says, you cannot save yourself. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. Came into the world because He loves us. Hates our sin because our sin separates us from Him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, did not have to die. So He became our substitute. He took all of the sin of all of the world, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead. When I accept this payment He made for me, I have a payment for all of my sins, and I am forgiven of all of my sins. I've already received that. But a lot of the sins that I'm going to commit after I'm saved, I've done more sinning since I've been saved than before I was saved. <gasps> so have you. But isn't it nice to know that that sin's paid? I can forgive myself. I can forgive myself. And when tomorrow when you mess up again, I can forgive myself. I can forgive myself. I don't have to live a life of guilt. I can accept all of this that God's done for me. Because God is good. So he came back from the dead and said, if I'd believe it, he'd put the payment to my account. I have a payment for all of my sins. They can never be brought up against me ever again. Now we talk about the sowing and reaping and be not deceived. Uh, that's not about God punishing us with sins and pouring out His wrath upon us. That's another sermon for another time. But if you trust in Christ as Savior, you're God's child. Now live like it. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, I urge you to do so. If you're watching by internet, right where you are, Christ died and paid for all of your sins. The only thing you can do, it's the only thing, is will you believe that He did it for you. Christ died for you. And if you'll trust Him as your Savior, He'll give you as a free gift everlasting life. And if it's everlasting life, it'll last forever. He'll never cast you out, never lose you. The best news in all the world. Our Father, we thank you again for your blessings. Thank you for this time together. And Lord, I pray that you, through the Holy Spirit, can take these truths and penetrate them into the hearts of each person here. And Father, there may be a little Yankeeology here and there, and I pray that you could weed that out and help them to accept, accept the truth that's been given that can help each person here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.